episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for hanging out. Episode number 54. Uh, my guest this week is Alyssa. Elisa, I always mispronounce her name. Elisa White Glutes. She is the vocalist for a metal band from Montreal, Canada called The Agonist. I'm excited because here is another female. It's just really hard to find females that are involved in music I have either access to or are interested in speaking to me. So I was excited to talk to Elisa. Yeah, more on her in a minute. Propertyofzack.com. Go visit the site. Find out all of the latest, all of the greatest that's happening within this beautiful music scene of ours. That way you're informed and you can make great decisions on the new music you should buy or the tours you should go to or whatever the case may be. So propertyofzack.com. Great partner. We love to have them. Go to the show's website, 100wordspodcast.com, and uh, if you're feeling oh so generous, go to iTunes, drop us some reviews, whether it's dropping some stars, dropping some kind words. Again, the UK, you're really representing. I, I don't know what it is, but uh, there's a lot of people that are uh, jumping, uh, in, jumping in and saying some nice things, and I really, really appreciate that. So thank you very much. Continue, if you haven't yet, continue to uh, check that out. Let's see what else we got here. Oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do a mailbag because there's been a lot of emails that have come in recently, either questions or just comments on previous sort of monologues. I figured that'd be fun to do it. And if you yourself have any questions or guest ideas or whatever the case may be, you can always email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. I love hearing from people because it's just awesome to connect on the real person-to-person level. Caleb from the UK, if I'm not mistaken, uh, a 21-year-old dude wrote to me in regards to the attention span rant that I did a few episodes ago um, where I was really uh, just looking at myself and being like, wow, I can't even sit down for like 10 minutes and watch a TV show or a movie without checking my phone or whatever, having something to pull my attention away from it. Uh, He recommended a few books to me. Um, I'm going to start digging into those uh, just as far as the way that obviously our culture has changed. And we, as the sort of internet generation, even though the age difference between Caleb and I is is, 11 years. So there's a huge difference there. But uh, the fact that he himself, he's challenging himself to try to, like when he goes to a show, to not take a picture to post on Instagram or whatever. He had a lot of cool thoughts, and it made me happy that a person is thinking about these things because it seems to me that obviously the younger you are, the more socially networked, activated you are. As long as we are making that conscious decision to at least put thought into it because that's all you can really do if you decide to be like, okay, whatever, I'm jumping in and I'm in you know 9 million social networks and I got 9 million things going on, and that's fine as long as you're comfortable with that and as long as it's not removing you from the human experience. Thank you for writing, Caleb. Second email, totally blanking on the person's name, but he wrote in and uh, he said he was curious about the kind of makeup of a band in the sense of, you know, usually you have one or two members that kind of start the band together. And, you know, the, the friends kind of fill in afterwards, but it's usually the brainchild of, you know, one, two, maybe three people. And then, you know, how bands deal with member changes and, you know, not only just from like the stylistic changes that can happen musically, but then also the sort of business side of things where it's like, how does it work when a, you know, a band joins my own personal experience, since I never made a living off of the music that I played. Um, and we didn't really have to 
worry about the, okay, you know, this person wrote 25% of the song, this person wrote 10% of the song as far as the publishing rights is concerned. But yeah, it can get really messy. I mean, basically the simplest explanation, you know, just from my professional life in regards to working at record labels and stuff and seeing how bands operate, um, you know, a lot of times if it is a brainchild of like one person, like a sort of singer songwriter thing, or, um, you know, a singular voice for a project that just kind of hires people to play with them or her, you know, they're, they're the ones that are executing the contract with the record label. They're the ones who are working with the booking agent. They're the ones who are, you know, the official contracted party. And then usually they, you know, just basically pay people to play with them or it's like, all right, I'll give you, you know, 350 bucks a week and I'll pay for your travel expenses or whatever, you know, like we're going to do a tour together. We're going to record. I'll, I'll pay you this flat fee, you know, bands, bands when it's like two or three people that have kind of started it and are moving forward you know the band signed the whole contract where it's like all right all five members are signing this and you know we're 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 stuck to this for a while and then it can get messy when a person leaves because there is a clause in most contracts that uh you know stipulates that if a person leaves there is what they call the first right of refusal which basically if you leave a band and then you're like okay I'm going to start this other band and this other band gets really successful and we want to sign a record deal and all this type of stuff. The record label that you were signed to, they essentially have the rights to that music because you signed a contract with them. So you have to submit a demo and there's this whole process, but I won't get too into the minutia because this feels like I'm teaching a music industry class right now. The dynamic is very interesting and um, it was cool to get that question because you know I don't know what people are curious about. So uh, just as a side note as well, I also uh, got hit up from a listener who was uh, interested in kind of, you know, talking about a contract for a band. Um, and uh, that's, it, it's just cool. It's cool that people feel like I'm some sort of resource. Um, and yeah, I'm definitely down to help as much as I can. I obviously am a busy person myself, but at the same time, you know, I'll do what I can because I think obviously we're all, we're all in this weird music world together and independent culture and DIY mentality, like, you know, we want to help each other to the best of our abilities. So thank you for writing in. And uh, yeah, if I get more emails, this could be like a regular thing. And that would be awesome. Enough about that. Business out of the way. Uh, Elisa White Glutes. She, like I said, is the vocalist for a metal band from Canada called The Agonist. Um, they are an extremely hardworking band. I became aware of them when I started working at Century Media Records. They signed them. You know, there's the whole shtick of like, oh, female-fronted metal bands, like, oh, the novelty, blah, blah, blah. We talk about that in the interview. Um, but over the course of working with her professionally, um, you know, I got to know her better, and, you know, I consider her a friend now. She's an incredible person. Um, she's just insanely active and busy, not only from a band perspective, but just her own personal life. And she's an activist herself, and it's just crazy stuff. And she has a very, very dedicated fan base that's like interested in almost every move that she makes, which is awesome. Like, not everybody who plays in a band has that level of attention, but also the actual ability to correspond with the person. And she takes a lot of time to be, you know, answer people's questions that they may have. And I don't know. It's just, a, it's a very interesting thing because, I mean, by and large, the Agonist is not a large band. This is not a mainstream successful metal band. They do well on their own, um, but it's through the hard work that kind of paves the way for any success they may have. So even if you have never heard of the band, I promise you, you will enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here's Elisa. Let's talk 
afterwards. anecdotal uh, memory or like when we first kind of came in contact and uh, obviously it was professionally speaking at Century Media because um, mm -hmm. prior to working at Century Media I had never you know heard of the agonist or your, your musical endeavors the thing that struck me about you and what you kind of portrayed and what you you know do in the band because obviously like the whole idea of oh a female fronted band there are so many negative connotations that come with that immediately of <laughs> like oh cool so yeah, so it's yeah. kitschy it's it's a gimmick good mm -hmm. job the way that you've always approached it and obviously the way that you know the band has always been uh has obviously tried to really avoid that and not just be like this this yeah. kitschy gimmicky thing yeah exactly. yeah and I, that's that's what gravitated me towards like she like she seems like she's got a good head in her shoulders and that's awesome like that's not that's kind of a, a rarity especially within music there's obviously a lot of people who uh you know might not be the uh the sharpest tool in the shed so to speak yeah 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 well i mean I, i'd like to think i'd like to think that i mean i um you know it didn't occur to me until i kept getting asked the question in interviews like so how do you feel to be in a female fronted band or whatever and i was always like that's like the weirdest thing to ask someone because it's like not like i've ever lived as a non-female you know like right. i mean i'm sure the thing you know like the singer from against me is probably like one of the only people in the world who could answer that question objectively you know right. like was a man now is a woman can answer the question but for me it was just like well what do you mean like i'm not a female vocalist i'm just a vocalist you know and like i happen to be female so it, it was always it was always weird because I never actually looked at it that way. And I mean, even just in day-to-day -day life, like the more people I meet, the more people, the more I realize that there are people who, um, I guess who really live to please others and live based on how others perceive them. And then there's people that just sort of do their own thing. And I guess I've never really thought about, Hey, I'm a girl. I can get away with things cause I'm a girl or if I wear this then I could probably gain that or whatever, you know? Right. So I, <laughs> so it's never really been something that crossed my mind. So I don't, I don't think it was, uh, I don't think it's something we even thought that we were going to have to battle against until we got to a certain point. And then we were like, wait, this is a little weird. But luckily, like all the dudes in my band have the same sort of idea as, as I do when it comes to what kind of a band we want to be. So. We'll touch on more of that a little bit later. But the, uh, the easiest place to start beyond what we just did was, you know, born and raised. Were you, are you a uh, Montreal, Canadian, Quebecian, like since, since birth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was born in Montreal and I've lived in Montreal my entire life and uh, <laughs> totally lived in like one house until I moved into my apartment a few years ago. And so I've literally been in like one spot my entire life, which is funny to say because I'm actually moving around all the time for tours and stuff. But, right. um, but yeah, luckily I think Montreal is like such a diverse city that you have people from so many different cultures and languages and religions and backgrounds that even if you are just in Montreal, you still get like a little taste of international culture. So, yeah. um, so I've never really felt too sheltered or anything having lived only in Montreal. It's, that's actually a good point. Cause I've never, I mean, I remember the first time that I went to Montreal to play a show, 
I, I don't know why, but no one, um, like no one, I, I wouldn't say warned me, but uh, no one kind of like told me that Montreal, because Montreal really does, like you said, it feels like let's throw as much shit in this city as we possibly can. Everything from, you know, yeah. <laughs> crazy, you know, like uh, sexual fetish stuff to like totally, like you said, you know, a ton of religions and like, and you can all find this in like a matter of like, yeah. you know, like eight blocks. Like, <laughs> and I just, I, and I remember going there yeah, and just being yeah. like, wow, like this is exactly. such a, uh, it, it is kind of overwhelming immediately because you, you're just like, it, it, you know, it has the feel of like, you know, a, any other city, but then it has just so much that's kind of like, you know, right behind it and underneath it. So I could see where you were like, yeah, I'm not feeling like I'm lacking anything, so to speak. Yeah. It wasn't like you were in Omaha, Nebraska being like, yeah, exactly. what is, what's, what, what's this? Like, I've never even heard of this before. Yeah, Alma, it's cra- It's really crazy for me and scary for me when I encounter people like that because it's, I mean, and even, even Montreal aside from, like, like Montreal stands out against the rest of Quebec, which actually does tend to be pretty sheltered and closed in with Quebec culture because, like, uh, the Quebec culture is really defensive against against being diluted by other cultures, so to speak. So um, there are a lot of people, like, when we'll tour smaller cities in Quebec that are, are they don't understand why I speak English, you know, or they don't understand like that I'm Jewish. Like they they just don't get it. They're like, how is that possible? (laughs) It's, I mean, even like really not even that far from home. It's something that I've seen, but I find that really like scary to think that there's a lot of people that are being like born and raised without being born and raised, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, it's true. And that, that, I mean, yeah, you hit on an interesting idea of, I mean, I'll go back to your family and obviously upbringing, but like, you know, you, you yourself, a lot of people, uh, you know, like they put like a few labels on themselves as far as either like you're like you were just talking about, you know, your, your religion, um, obviously like dietary preferences and, you know, straight edge and all these things that you are like, you know, you're, you're, you're segmenting yourself into like niches of niches of niches. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and it's like, uh, it's, you know, in one way, obviously, it's awesome because this is like you're defined by what you have labeled yourself as such. And I'm sure, but I mean, with that, there's obviously a lot of people that uh, look at you and are just like, you know, what the fuck is this girl doing? Like, what is she like? What is she talking <laughs> about? Like, not only does she not, you know, whatever, quote unquote, not do this, but she's also this and this and this. Like, it does yeah. it, I, I presume it takes a while for people to kind of like wrap their head around you, so to speak. Um, I think it, I think it really depends on the person. Cause you know, there's some people that I meet and, and right off the bat, right off the bat, they're like, Oh, you're vegan. Cool. I get right. it. Or, Oh, you're straight edge. Cool. I get it. But there's some people that like I've known for years and still, every time I see them, they'll be like, Hey, you want a beer? And it's like, <laughs> no, I don't. Or they'll be like, Oh, look, I made you a salad. It's Caesar salad. It's vegan. Right. It's just like lettuce with this like cream dressing with bacon in it. So it's vegan. Right. And so like, <laughs> like they just they don't they don't get it and and so I'm starting to just accept the fact that some people are just not understanding yeah. of this and they're not going to get it and I'm just like no thank you <laughs> like I just leave it because I I don't have the energy to try to explain to, it's, explain it to them you know a one hundredth time so um, yeah <laughs> I mean you know as as far as um, you know as far as religion goes like I you know I was born and raised Jewish but like I really don't care about Judaism at all and I don't follow any religion but um but uh veganism to me is like very important and it's something I really really believe in not only for you know my 
personal benefit in the sense of like living with a little bit less guilt and living like a healthier life, but also in the sense that I really feel like if more people knew about how great this is, more people would be living the same kind of like good lifestyle that I'm living. And in in exchange, the planet would be doing a lot better too. So veganism is something that is always high up on my list of priorities. Um, being straight edge is more of just like a personal taste. Like I just don't like alcohol and I just smoke is disgusting and I have no interest in doing drugs. So, so being straight edge is like not at all something that I really talk about, but I mean, if somebody asks, I'll tell them. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I guess it makes me a little bit of an odd. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's, (laughs) it's usually a lot of, you know, those labels, everything that you were discussing, like, you know, some of it gets applied, obviously, like you said, when you were raised a certain way that usually comes from religion. But then, you know, some of that stuff you start to apply when you're a teenager, it's expected to kind of wash off after a while, because obviously, as people grow up, they become less passionate about, you know, A, B or C. But the fact that it's like, you know, you are in your, you know, because you're, you're in your late 20s now, correct? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, and, you know, by this point, like, you know, that is who you are. Whereas a lot of other people will have yeah. obviously like let that drop off after a while. <laughs> yeah, no, this is like, that's why I've always said, like, if there, if I was going to get a tattoo of anything, it would be about veganism because that's like the one thing that I'm a hundred percent sure is going to be with me until right. I die. Like, and hopefully past when I die, you know, by having passed on the message to other people. So um so that's one thing i'm absolutely sure yeah, about. yeah for sure so about your upbringing like you know how was what was your family structure like um well i have uh i have an older sister who is also a musician and she plays in a band called no joy and she used to play in a band called bad flirt and uh i remember even as far back she's three years older than me and i remember being in high school and hearing about her going on tour but she was like Bands nowadays will complain about like, you know, being in the van and it sucks and it's smelly and hot and dirty and you're tired. And and that's all true. But I remember my sister going on solo tours of literally just her, an acoustic guitar, a drum machine and a Greyhound bus and touring that way. And like that is hardcore, especially for like a teenage girl to be doing that. So like, (laughs) I remember her playing. She was straight up like Greyhound busing it across Canada. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. And into like New York and stuff like that. So I, I so she's she's been doing this a lot longer than me. She uh I mean I wouldn't say that she necessarily influenced me because our music styles are so different, but I remember growing up her and I would always try to like put on little like musical productions for our parents. You know, I remember at one point both of us being I mean, I was probably like eight years old at this point, but like remaking like whole videos or nirvana or pearl jam videos like with our like vhs camcorder (laughs) or like a a lisa loeb video we did once like just sort of remaking music videos always being really into the idea of um entertaining but at that point we didn't look at it as i want to be an entertainer we just sort of thought like hey this is like something cool and creative we can do we would even we would even do stop motion animation using the camera like we would literally turn on the camera for a split second move a piece of clay turn it off, move it a little bit more, turn it off. Like, and we would do stop motion claymation movies <laughs> like incredible. that. I'm amazed. I'm amazed at how much energy we had for this kind of stuff. And I really wish, like, I really hope these VHS tapes are like still intact and not like all falling apart because it'd be really funny to watch. But um, yeah, me and her had like a lot of, uh, 
I mean, we had like a TV series that we filmed, you know, like we had a, I think probably a radio show. Like we had all sorts of stuff that we did together. Which was, yeah. So was it, and your, then I also, your, your, so your relationship with your sister was definitely not like you guys were bosom buddies as opposed to like the, oh, this is my little sister that's tagging along to everything I'm doing. You know what? It's, it's funny because we actually were like mortal enemies for like the first 25 years of my life, but we somehow still made all these cool creative things together but like we weren't friends at all (laughs) which is weird which is which is really weird because we were like really working well creatively but i think it was sort of like uh she like intimidated me and then i just wanted to go along with it because i was scared that's amazing (laughs) i I can i can just see you like you know you being eight her being 11 and then just having this like suit just like you know the animosity is so thick but she's just like (laughs) you know we need to fucking do this lisa Loeb video like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so good exactly it was it was literally like i remember even like specific takes of like videos where we'd be walking and she'd be like why are you doing it that way or like there's one like really classic video that um <laughs> my whole family remembers because it's just too funny where basically she's behind the camera and she's filming me and i'm dancing to a debbie gibson mm-hmm. song and there's like a drum set behind me and like guitars and whatever. And so this is like the Debbie Gibson music video. And I must have been like five here, like super young. And so I'm dancing and I try to pull off this like crazy spin move. And I end up falling backwards into the drum kit, which, you know, and like cymbals falling and just like a big disaster. <laughs> and so then you just see me fall. There's like that brief moment of silence that kids have when they're like realizing that they're going to cry. And then I just start crying. And then you just see my sister walk into the frame and continue to dance like in front of me. Like she's like taking over. She's like, you can't handle this. I'll do this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so, I mean, we, we had an interesting uh, relationship in that sense. It was, I mean, she was in like the, the school plays. I was in school plays, like both really like theater, I think. Yeah. So it's kind of cool that we're both um, still doing it in, in some sense. Yeah, yeah. You, both, you both are still, yeah, yeah, you both obviously had a very artistic vision of how you wanted to express yourself. And it's cool that like, you guys have gone on completely different paths, but art is still at the core of it. And so what, it, so your parents, yeah. so how, I mean, I'm sure this was like supremely entertaining for them, but um, were they, they themselves like, you know, into art or did they, you know, just kind of encourage you guys or where were their heads at? Um, well, I mean, I also have a younger brother and he is, he's like not super into art, but he's very, um, he's like more business minded actually. But I mean, he's, he's only 22. So it's like, it's still hard for me to sort of figure out what kind of a person he is, but he's, uh, you know, he has like a creative side for sure, but I think he's much more, um, like business oriented than me or my sister. Um, as for my parents, like my dad is, is creative in the sense of like, He's always trying to think of like new inventions and new products and things like that. And then my mom, um, she's not a musician herself, but she's like a big music fan. Like, you know, at home at her house, there's like, rather than wallpaper, it's just all vinyls up and down the walls, oh, like, wow. like pinned to the walls. And, <laughs> and like the decoration on the cabinet is like, you know, like a Foo Fighters vinyl, Eric Clapton, The Who, Tom Petty, uh, Nirvana box set, Janis Joplin, mm-hmm. David Bowie, like, so she just has like really good taste in music and I was like, you know, really a fan of music. And actually sometimes even now when I start to take music for granted, because sometimes the stresses outweigh the positive, right. I, I try to think about, about my mom and about people like her who really 
love music and think about how much joy it brings them and realize that like I am also someone like that deep down inside and I have to remember the joy of music rather than just thinking about the stress. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, that, so, that's a, yeah. that's a really important lesson where I mean ultimately that that comes with age where it's like the perspective of like okay like even though what I do from you know a musical profession is a grind a lot of the times because you have to deal with so much you know business and bullshit and everything else but then you're just like well hold on let me strip this down why do I do what I do (laughs) like why yeah this this brings me joy were your mom and dad working like as you were as you were coming up yeah, uh, I mean, my mom works in, uh, she actually works in a high school, mm-hmm. and she she works as a lab tech, like she works with the chemistry mm-hmm. students, which is cool, because I've always said that I would like to be a teacher, maybe at, maybe at a high school level, or maybe a bit above mm-hmm. that, um, and for a while, I was working as a teacher to uh, younger kids, like in elementary school, uh, teaching art, and so... Um, my mom's always been like very social, like very sociable person, very good with kids. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's, it's interesting because even, even now my mom is still kind of like my idol, I guess you could say, cause I still want to be like in her position one day and be working in a school. So right. <laughs> it's, it's kind of cool. In that um, and so then as you, as you started to, uh, you know, like go into your developmental years, as far as like, you know, junior high and obviously going into high school, you strike me as a person that was, uh, because obviously just using very stereotypical terms for people that were in high school, like, you know, you, you strike me as like a theater geek where it's like you would be the person, like you said, that you would be in musicals and that type of stuff. Or did you find yourself having different interests in, in high school? Um, you know, it's it's weird because I remember, like I loved my high school years and I, I know a lot of people say that high school years were like really difficult, but as far as I can tell, there weren't really like maybe I was just completely in my old my own world, but I kind of feel like there was no cliques in my high school. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think there was like the popular girls and then the the jocks and then the whatever <laughs> right. you know. Um, like that being said, too, like high school in in Quebec is only five years from the age of uh, eleven to sixteen, mm-hmm. and so there's no junior high or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, I was actually. I was actually like the top achiever in my grade, like from grade seven all the way until grade 11. Like I got awards in um, mass public speaking. I would do like, I would go outside of the school and do like provincial mass competitions, like public speaking competitions. I was in the, the school band. I played like the drums and the flute. And, um, and then I, you know, I also got like awards for sportsmanship because I was on the volleyball team and we got like five gold medals. Like I really, like I left high school with like a lot of awards. Hmm. And like, I also had, I had like the top mark of anyone in in, like in the whole school, like every, you know, every uh, term there would be like your average would be posted on this like board. And my average, there was me and one of my good friends who, who I'm still friends with this girl, Melina, and like one other guy who's, I think a neurosurgeon now, this guy Daniel and we were always like the three of us were always like 98 to 99% average like that was our our term thing and I remember every term we would go and be like oh who got higher who got higher and like we were like so competitive if somebody was 97.5 and the other person was 98 we were like all pissed (laughs) so I think uh I, I I wouldn't say I was a theater geek totally because I was See, the thing about the theater also is that I was in the cast, but then I was also doing the stage managing and I was also building and painting the sets for them. So, like, I was actually, like, working construction behind the scenes a Mm -hmm. lot. And 
Um, and I started doing that actually in elementary school because people knew that I was good at painting and good with art. And so I started uh, for, for our graduation play of grade six. Um, we were doing Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And so I was in the cast of that, but then they also needed the, the set design. And so I actually made the set design for that. And from there, I started getting more and more gigs from like children's theater companies or other schools asking me to do the sets for them. And uh, because I was a kid and I didn't know what it was to ask for payment for, <laughs> right. for work that you do, I was just kind of doing it pro bono. And they would give me like, you know, gift certificates to art stores and things like that and as a payment. But um, when I got a little bit older and I was still doing that, I was like, okay, well, it's about time I start making money right. off this because, you know, I've been doing this for a long time already. And, uh, and I actually, for the most part, thought I would be still doing something like that now. I really didn't see music becoming uh, like a career, but. So that, that's really funny. So did you, uh, like, did you go to a, a, a smaller, like high school? Cause I, I tend to, I tend to feel that, I guess, uh. I, I grew up in like the English part of Montreal, the uh, West. And we went to probably like the most, probably the biggest, you know, public school in in that area. So um, yeah, so I, I, yeah, I was just gonna say because like it seems like if you go to more, um, you know, whatever, some sort of private school, like obviously the the cliques grow a little smaller just because it isn't as expansive. But didn't sound like that was the case for you. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it. I mean, like we would have, uh, you know, for example, I always got voted most unique in the yearbook, whatever <laughs> well, yeah. that means, right? So it's like I didn't, I didn't get like, uh, you know. I, I don't even know what the other categories were, but I mean, I guess I was, um, I stood out enough to get voted that. Right. <laughs> you know, I definitely wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't like a, a bully and I wasn't being bullied and I wasn't like a popular slutty girl and I wasn't a jock. I was just sort of everything. Right, right, right. But, so what did, when, yeah. when did, um, I guess when did kind of independent music start to, you know, influence or come into your life? Was that like, through your sister or was that like, you know, in high school or where did that kind of come into play for your life? No, I don't really remember. I know that I was always into, I mean, just from my mom's taste in music, I always had like a pretty strong interest in, in rock, Mm -hmm. if you want to like generalize that category. And then in, you know, probably about midway through high school, I started like skateboarding because it was fun. And I started, I guess, hanging out with like more of the punk scene in in my area of the mm-hmm. city and uh i was listening to like a lot of punk and grunge and actually funny enough um one of the theater companies that i was working for the woman who ran it her son was in a metal band and i was you know working on the set design for his mom and he happened to ask me like oh you go to a lot of shows right because uh i'm starting a band and i need a singer so if you need a singer let me know and so I was like, okay, yeah, sure. I mean, I go to shows all the time. Like, I was all about local mm-hmm. shows. Like, I I would go to a local show, like, three, four, five times a week. And I'm talking, like, 10, 12 people attending the show. Like, really small right. <laughs> local shows. And um, and so, anyways, I, I asked around for a little bit, and I didn't end up finding anyone. And so, you know, I figured I might as well give it a shot myself. I never really had an interest in doing this, but... Um, the girl I mentioned earlier, Melina, who actually also played on an Agonist album. She played the piano parts on Lullabies for the Dorm oh, okay. Line. Um, she, uh, she had at that point like a little boss digital recorder. And so she was like, well, why don't you just like try singing something and see if they like it? And so I recorded like a karaoke version of me singing Crazy Jane and, and I showed it to them and I was like, hey, what do you think about this singer? Is she okay? 
And they were like, oh, yeah, she's good. Who is that? <laughs> so then I was like, uh, well, me. it's me. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> and so that's how I that's how I joined my first metal band. Like prior to that, I really, I don't think I even listened to metal at all. Or if I did, it was like just in the context of it being blended in with punk and stuff. Yeah. I don't think I was like super into metal or anything. <clears throat> well, and uh, what was the name of that first band? Because if, if it was a good name, I'm going to be disappointed. Oh no! It was a terrible name. It was called Hollow Rain, like rain, as in like the rain of a. Oh, game. okay. Hollow well, rain. I mean that. Yes. I mean it's not. It's not terrible, but it's obviously pretty. It's pretty. Cliche. Well, no. It, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty cliche. Yeah. <laughs> and like I, I drew the logo and everything, and like my boyfriend at the time helped me like draw the, draw the logo and design like the the tagline Dude, and everything. I so. love. I love how like when you first get into a band and you first start you know, figuring out like, okay, we need to have an identity and like how important that logo is. Like you just like, you spend yep. so much time sweating over like the yep. stupidest shit where you're just like, it strikes me like, I mean, a lot of your sensibilities and like, uh, you know, the whole persona, like in hearing everything that you were obviously experiencing in high school, like, you know, building shit and doing stuff on your own. Um, Cause the DIY mentality of just like, okay, like I don't know how to do this. So I'll figure it out on my own. It's not typically synonymous with what metal is known for obviously like when i say metal like you know as a very overarching concept people that get into uh, you know metal initially it's like you know are they might be drawn to you know one particular era of bands where it's like you know they're immediately the or not immediately but they're you know like touring in buses and like that whole concept of like oh we just have to grind it out in the van on the road like you know it just doesn't seem to I mean, I just remember working at Century Media, like the way that the Agonist tours was much different than obviously a lot of the other bands that just either didn't come from any sort of like punk or hardcore roots. Like they just were, you know, metalheads, like true and true. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, do you, do, do you notice that where it's just like, you know, like you were saying, like, you know, bands may complain about, oh, we, we're, we're not doing this tour with, you know, two buses we have. We're all crammed into one bus on this tour. Like, do you notice that? Um, I think I think I've noticed that more with um, European bands that come to tour in the states. Like I think European bands, and from what I've seen from from the one tour we did in Europe, like um, it seems like bands are treated with a lot more respect in Europe. So when those European bands come to tour here, they have a higher standard of comfort for for their tour. Yeah. And so if that's not met, they're like kind of appalled. Mm-hmm. But in a way, I'm kind of jealous because I feel like, as a as a grown up now, yeah. <laughs> like as opposed to like a kid that started out touring, I do think it's like a little bit ridiculous to be, you know, basically homeless for months on end, um, living in a van, you know, sleeping in freezing cold or boiling hot with like four or five other smelly guys or girls or whatever, right. um, you know, like it's really not like a fun way to live. And I think that. I think that for me, the fact that I kind of, you know, like it, it is weird because I, I, I even talked to Alex about it and like to him, it's like his dream to gr- was to grow up and see the world playing music. And like, that was not my dream at all. Like, I don't even think I had a dream. Other, right. like, I had a dream. Like the only dream that I had was to get a PhD one day. I want a PhD. And I have not achieved that yet because I haven't achieved it yet. And also because I'm never in Montreal. So, um, so I can't really, you know, do schooling while I'm not in Montreal, but, or at least not in one spot. Yeah. But that was, that was my dream, you know? So like the, the music thing, 
I think because of the fact that I never built it up to be anything, it's like a double-edged sword because on, on one hand, I never expected anything out of it. So what I do have, I'm grateful for. But on the other hand, because I never expected anything, I'm also like every every pitfall that we have like hurts a little bit more because I don't have that, you know, maybe that same drive as other people do. Like, you know, every time we'll like lose out an opportunity or like, you know, have our stuff stolen or just have some sort of a negative whatever about us. I think that hurts me a little bit more because it's just to me, that's like, okay, well, this is another reason that I shouldn't be doing this and I should go and do something else. You know? So it's like I said, it's kind of, uh, it, it works both yeah, ways, you know, obviously now that I've been, now that I've been doing it for a while, it's, it's become a passion. But it's, yeah. No, that, that you know, I, I, I think, yeah. yeah, I think you hit on a really interesting concept because yeah, it's like if you start a band to be like, okay, like this is what I want to be my career you know, some, there's, there's a level of expectation that a person puts into it. Whereas if, obviously if you start a band where you're just like, whatever, like I'm just playing music with friends and that's fun. And then everything else that happens after that, like you said, is just, you know, a byproduct of you wanting to yeah. play. But obviously from your perspective where it's like, yo, I'm missing out on quote unquote real life shit. That is like really important yeah. to me. Whereas like, you know, your average, you know, fucking failure kid is like oh, i don't care about school and you're like i've always cared about school i want to be smart yeah yeah <laughs> it, it's it, it's interesting because yeah like you said it's you know you're you're having to um because no matter what it's like when you're doing music it's like you have to put your life on hold for a certain you know extended period yeah. of time some people are okay with that and then others you know they they have to try to find that like sort of happy medium and <clears throat> and kind of on that basically the, the thing that has always really um impressed me about the way that people interact with you i mean it's just it's like it's impressive like the the fact that people are just like i i need to talk to you i i need to have some sort of interaction with you just removing the fact that you obviously sing for a band so it's like singers are always going to get that immediate like oh like they're cooler than the rest of the band like that's just a reality <laughs> and yeah. uh, well you know whether or not that's true is obviously a complete different story but Right, right. But that's the idea. Because yeah. there are people who are just like, oh, yeah, like, I like that band or I like that, you know, um, you know, guitarist or whatever. But it's like the way that people kind of lay themselves out to you is insane in the sense of like, they're like, I, I want to create art for you. I want to like, and not only just from like a fan adoration standpoint, but just like a, a genuine, you know, I, I really support what you do and whether it is like your, your music or yeah. the, obviously everything else you put out. Um and I presume that's pretty overwhelming for you. Yeah. Um, honestly, I think that that is, that has been, and probably will continue to be my biggest hurdle in music is, you know, not even the composition of the songs or the touring, but it's interacting with the, the fans because, you know, like fans that really do like get it, you know, like the way they talk to me or they like make art or they cover a song or they read into the lyrics and it affects them in a positive way or they go vegan or whatever. That like to me really keeps me going and I think is like huge. And that like literally I, I remember in particular, like I was having a horrible day. I was feeling so down about myself. And then I got like one tweet from a fan, I think in Argentina or something like that, who who just told me like, I think some of my lyrics and then like she mentioned something about how that like helped her through her day. And that made me happy for like a week. 
it's really hard. And even like in particular, 2012, like we did a lot of really, really rough tours in 2012 where there was no backstage, um, you know, no showers, no days off. There was no time for me to ever be alone. So I was constantly exposed and, you know, thrown to the dog, so to speak, like constantly just like at the venue around everyone. And it got to a point where like, without sounding too, uh, you know, oh, I'm a victim or whatever. Like I was, I was actually like diagnosed with agoraphobia and um, I was actually like really, really like suffering from this intense, intense social anxiety. And I didn't know what it was for like a year. I was just like, I don't know what it is, but every time I get on stage, I start crying. Uh-huh. And every time I walk into the venue, I want to run out the other way. And, and I'd never had stage fright before. So I was like, okay, it's probably just like a sudden onset of stage fright or like, but it was really affecting the way that I performed and it was affecting the way that fans saw me. Like all of a sudden everyone was like, oh, she's a bitch. She's a diva. She has an ego, this and that. And I was like, I don't understand. Like, where is this coming from? Uh-huh. And it was literally just because I got to a point where I didn't understand I don't, I still don't understand like the fan mentality, so to speak. Like for me, let's say, um, like no doubt is one of my all time favorite bands. And I think Gwen Stefani is awesome. But if I was walking down the street and saw Gwen Stefani, I wouldn't like chase after her even. And I I wouldn't even ask for a picture or an autograph. I'd just be like, Oh cool. There she is. That's it. Like, (laughs) like I really like, I'm not the kind of person that feels the need to get a piece of somebody to you know to to hold with me forever like I feel like having the music is enough and um so I don't understand when people want that from me and so I automatically start assuming or you know sort of guessing that what they want is something like there's something wrong with what they're doing and they're actually going to try to hurt me or they're actually going to attack me or and I know it sounds crazy but I've like analyzed this a lot because I was struggling with it so much and and I, I have to, you know, I really had to train myself to, to realize that, you no, know, these people are here because they're enjoying my music and they want to just, you know, talk to me and tell me that they like my music. Like 99% of the time, that's all it is. Granted, there are some people that have like negative intentions, but most of the time that's what it is. And really one of my best forms of like therapy for that now is like, I'll go to a show that I want to see, like, uh, you know, I was at like a mad ball show or whatever show. And I'll just, rather than watching the band, I'll watch the audience. And I see the people that are like jumping up and down or they have huge smiles on their faces or they're there with a bunch of friends and they all have their arms around each other, headbanging, or they're, you know, singing the lyrics. And like, I see these people and they're having such a great time. And that is like a reminder to me of how powerful live music Uh is. And seeing that really reminds me that, you know what, like, People are going to a show because they want to have that unique experience of being at that particular show for that night. And so I've obviously noticed that, and and I think it's pretty cool that, you know, the agonist, but also myself in particular, have like a a very loyal, very unique kind of fan base. Mm. I think it's really cool because I also think that like a lot of our fans are really smart and sophisticated and creative, which I think is amazing because... Again, that's not what you would you would expect of metalheads most of the time. Yeah. And uh but yeah, it's really it's really been like a big struggle for me because I'm like like I said, like I was working behind the scenes in theater, I was working, you know, with the VHS camera, like making animations or like this and that. Like if you give me an idea, I'm gonna run with it. And that's kinda what I did with the band. So to suddenly have all these people that like want a piece of me, it, it was really like a really violating and invasive feeling. And it really just, it made me shut down for 
about a year, I would say, where to the point that performing became really painful for me. Mm. And, and, and uh, when, when was this kind of in the, was this like towards the beginning of the agonist or was this like, you know, more recently? No, this was like, uh, this was like 2012. And even now I'm still kind of like recovering for it. And I'm like hoping that by, sure. by, you know, like talking about it and thinking about it, I'm going to, I'm going to recover from it, but I'm still like, it's still, but even, even like amazing shows, like we just played in, in Japan or whatever, right. like, you know, I'm on stage and I'm, and I'm like, wow, this is great. I'm in Japan, which is one of, one of my favorite places to tour. And there's all these awesome people, great sound, great stage, great lighting. Right. And, but there's still a part of me that's like scared. And, and honestly, I never understood the difference between stress and anxiety before, but like now I do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, well, no, I mean, I, there's a big... yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm really glad you're talking about this because it definitely, it's uh, the idea of, you know, performing in a band. It's like, you know, pe- some people are just like either, you know, kind of made for it in the sense of like, you know, that they don't mind being the center of attention or whatever. Like there's, there's elements of a yeah. person's personality that make them more predisposed to be able to handle something like that unless you're just like this completely egomaniacal person interactions with people that are just like supremely passionate about you know whatever it is you're creating there's going to be an element of like oh my god like i can't handle this like i you you get to a point where it's just like i I am literally the same person as you like we're having like what prevented you six years ago from doing the same thing with your friends like nothing I just happened to do it and it happened, I have, it ha- it's happened to lead, exactly. it's happened to lead me to being in front of you right now. I mean, I think people, uh, it, it's just such a, cause I, I was actually having a conversation with one of the, the previous guests on the podcast I do for, he's the singer of that band, Touche Amore. Um, and he's, he's mm-hmm. go, he's got, he went through that, the same exact experience that you're talking about where it's like, it didn't cripple him from performing, but it crippled him from like actually deriving the enjoyment of you know interacting with people like he he would play and then he would immediately yeah. like like you know just isolate himself and it's like yeah and it's, it's hard I, it's it's a shame because I, I feel like if i had the capacity to isolate myself as in like was actually playing venues that had backstages then i would have totally done it but like it got to the point where we would pull up to a venue and there would be no backstage so i would just sit in the van alone mm-hmm. sometimes just like literally crying for hours and then I would have to go on stage and perform and then I would go back to sit alone in the van crying and the worst part about it is I remember like there was like one case where this is what happened Mm -hmm. and fans came and saw me I guess through the window and were like knocking on the window for me to open the door but I was like this is really crazy because I'm crying right now so what I'm gonna open the door and you're gonna want to take a picture with me but I'm crying (laughs) so you're just gonna have a picture of you standing next to me while I'm crying and so and so I wouldn't open the door. And I remember, like, I remember somebody posting on my fan page being like, oh, fuck this band. I'll never listen to this band again. That singer's a bitch. You know, she just sits in a van alone all day. She has such an ego. She won't even come out of the van to talk to anyone. And to me, that was like the biggest, the, the hardest thing about it was how badly people misinterpreted yeah. the situation of, you know, not only the being the singer, but like being a girl singer, being in a, you know, a, a rough state of mind and, not only that, like being the only vegan and being the only straight edge person, like it makes a big difference too. Yeah. And, and, and there was like quite a few situations like that, you know, where like there would be like some sort of a fan interaction and it it would be like completely interpreted the wrong way by the fan. And then being like overly sensitive, which is like a really bad thing to be when you're in a metal band, I would like really get hurt because it was like all my intention to 
offend anyone but you know it's it's just like there there's i mean now i'm sort of in the mindset of you can't please everyone so don't even try so yeah. i so i don't try but you know back then i was trying and i think that that's kind of what like sort of sent me into a downward spiral because for me to even just plaster a smile on my face at that point like with the mental state i was in was like really impossible and exhausting mm-hmm. And so for me to go and plaster a fake smile on my face to to perform for 30, 45 minutes and then get off stage and go to the merch stand and sign autographs and take pictures for another 45 minutes was like hell for me. I hated it. And so it got to the point where it was like I couldn't smile in pictures anymore. And so then, you know, all these fans have pictures of me not smiling, but it was like... (laughs) But it's like I like I couldn't, you know, like I just couldn't do it. And so then I was like, well, that's not fair to them. So I should just not even go to the merch. So then I wouldn't go to the merch. But then people would like hunt me down, like I said, in the van or walking down the street or whatever. And yeah, it's like it's it's like I I felt like I needed to escape from it. You know, I could not enjoy being there, and I couldn't even enjoy being on the stage because the stage became okay, now it's not only one person asking me for something, it's all this whole crowd of people want me to do something for them and I'm not going to be able to do it up to their standards and they're going to be disappointed. And so it's it really, I think, like all the pressures sort of came to uh, to a tipping point last year and uh, I and I tipped over the edge and it was like really a hard year for me. But, yeah. Well, um, at, least, like, at least you were able to back it off and obviously get a perspective on why you're feeling how you're feeling because... Yeah, because I mean, obviously, it could it could have imploded to the point of where you're just like, "Fuck this! I can't do this!" Like, I am not even. I mean, I'm sure you you thought about it and maybe you did it, but like to be able to back off and be like, "Okay, these are why I'm having these feelings, and this is how I need to process them, and this is how I need to like deal with them in the future in order to like at least still do what I enjoy doing." You know, there is a part of me as as much as it might be like totally buried. There's a part of me that likes doing this. And I have to remember why I like doing it. And so I had to sort of peel off the layer of, oh, this is preventing me from doing school. And this is preventing me from finding a real job. And this is preventing me from having enough money to get a new car. And this is, you know, preventing me from spending time with the people I care about. I had to sort of get rid of all that and remember, okay, but what is this allowing me to do? And not just what is this preventing me from doing? And so I'm really like every day is a, a, you know, another step towards remembering why I'm doing it and sort of just trying to enjoy it for myself rather than just doing it like it's a job because yeah. if this was a job if I was doing any other job that made me this miserable and paid this little I would have quit a little right, 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 <laughs> right, right. but the most important thing you can just back yourself off and yeah. obviously get a perspective on why it is you're doing what you're doing because yeah you need to come to those gut check moments where it's just like all right man like is this is this the fucking path is this the way that I need to go? It's like, I, I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. You, you have to come to that fork of the road. Cause otherwise you're not doing something right. If you don't come to a fork, <laughs> you're, you're not even questioning. Yeah, exactly. And sort of, sort of to, you know, wrap things up. Cause I obviously don't want to keep you. Cause we could probably talk for another like seven hours. The experience, you know, kind of like hitting on the fact that you're obviously, um, you have so many different interests and obviously the time that you, uh, you know, you dedicate towards each one, you know, is fulfilling to a point, but then obviously it's like, you're like, oh, well, I have to move on to this other thing because that's my next task or goal. The idea of like, obviously figuring out what, uh, what your priorities are and like what, what becomes like important, obviously, like you said, as you grow older with that concept of being able to, uh, you know, understand where your priorities lie, how does that, how has that obviously changed since you have, you know, not only gone through what you've gone through the past year, 
Um, but then, you know, as you, as you start to feel that pull where it's like, well, I do like, there are things that I want to pursue that don't immediately are attached to music. Cause when people start to have that feeling and they play in a band, like they feel like they're like cheating on themselves. Like they're like, no, but yeah. I, I can't like, there's this thing that I've been doing for years and it's meaningful, but like, it's also fun to have a real life. How does that all sit like in your head? Like you're just, you, is it something that you just obviously like work on day to day or? Well, it's, I've kind of, I've analyzed it a lot and I've kind of come to the conclusion that the only thing that's actually going to expire is my ability to have babies. But other than that, (laughs) other than that, everything can wait. And the thing is like, you know, this year I'm actually in a pretty good situation. Um, So I actually have a really good feeling about my band now. And I feel like our communication is better than ever. And I feel like we all want the same things. And I also feel like, for the first time in like since probably 2009 i'm prioritizing making myself happy with the band and i'm not thinking about oh i gotta do this bill and get this filed and talk to this agent and do that and whatever i'm saying you know what if i have a douchebag agent that's putting me on shitty tours for his own personal gain and you know who i'm talking about then i'm gonna fire him you know Um, if i have if i have uh you know if i have um a tour that I don't want to do because it con- it's it's conflicting with something that I that I have to do otherwise. Then I'm not going to do that tour. Like I, I basically decided that I'm not going to prioritize my band no matter what all the time. I'm only going to do what's best for the band, but also what's best for me personally. Mm-hmm. And and that means saying no sometimes, which is something that none of us ever did before. Um, so not not only that, but I also have like a day job now that's actually flexible enough that will uh, that knows about my band completely and actually supports me being in a band and is you know allowing me to take the time off to go on tour when I need to so that's huge because prior to that I would have to I would get a job for a month and then quit get a job for a month and then quit get a job get fired like it was it was ridiculous like I couldn't have when it came time to file my taxes I would have like 10 T4s from 10 different jobs that I worked that year you know because I I would have to you know the band wouldn't sustain me enough to actually be able to pay my rent so I'd have to get a job but then I would have to quit that job and it was just like a really stressful lifestyle so having at least one stable job makes a huge difference and then you know also having like a stable like a boyfriend who understands what I'm doing and also actually does the same thing um is huge too because it's like okay so now you know, basically, I have a family that supports me, a job that supports me, a boyfriend that supports me, bandmates that support me. It's kind of like I feel a lot less alone now than I did before. And that's giving me a lot more hope. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I like that. Because yeah, it's like, if you feel like one area of your life is kind of spinning out of control, you do need to have more than one support system, no matter how large or small it is, like whether that is, like you said, all those things you've listed, like family, bandmates, you know, whatever, like, you know, coworkers. It's like you do need to have those things kind of carved out because otherwise we're social beings. Like we as humans obviously yeah. have to have other people in order to lean on. As much as we all, all like to think we're the most badass independent people, we are. We, <laughs> we do get broken down to the point where it's like, oh my gosh, like I need someone, I need something. Yeah. And so I, I think that's a really, that's a cool thing that you've been able to kind of, you know, make them all sort of, you know, sync up with one another because that is a difficult task. So, well, that's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm very glad that, uh, yeah, you're in a good place and really, uh, been able to, uh, grow exponentially as a person in, in recent times, but it's awesome. And I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. happy for you. <laughs> 
Thank you. Yeah, no, it's definitely it's an uphill battle, but I'm glad I'm actually going up now. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, and the, 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 yeah. it's not like this, uh, you know, hopeless, uh, you know, hopeless train that you keep getting on and keep getting off. Where it's like, oh man, I'm never, I'm yeah. never going to get to my destination. Yeah, exactly. exactly. All right, thanks, Lisa. Okay, bye. There you have it. How sweet is she? She's awesome. Yeah, I was really excited to have her on the show. We tried to schedule this a few times, but, you know, she's like, oh, I'm going to go on tour in South America. It's like, I'll talk to you when you get back. In any event, check out propertyofzack.com, 100wordspodcast.com. The editor for this episode is Tom Richfield. Mad props to him. And uh, until next week, be safe, everybody. Yeah,